Uh, and turn with me to Malachi chapter 3. Lord willing, today we are finishing out our study, which uh, raises an interesting question. What are we doing next week? <laughs> You'd like to know, wouldn't you? So would I. Um, so we're going to, after this week, so next week we're going to begin our normal summer rotation uh, with a slight variation. So there'll be a change in uh, the preaching and a change in the Sunday school. Uh, typically throughout the summers we do our family Sunday schools. So we'll, we'll cancel our, our Sunday school for individual ages. Everybody will be together, one big happy family. Um, and our major study for the summer is going to be through prayer, uh, through the Lord's Prayer, looking at uh, at that, uh, using the Westminster Shorter Catechism to help us think through, uh, well, well, what is the Lord's Prayer about? What are we praying? What, what are we doing when we pray? Uh, and that's going to start, uh, and I'm going to be enlisting uh, heads of households, families, to, to help teach that. Um, and so keep that on your radar. I'm going to come around and get you to sign up if I can. Um, but uh, before we do that, we're going to have two weeks where we're talking about uh, mercy ministry, and so I'll be leading those two for the next two weeks, Lord willing, um, just to talk about bearing one another's burdens in the church. What does that look like? Uh, what's the structure the Lord has set up in the church, specifically in our church? Not just a, a theoretical sort of thing, not just thinking about what is this supposed to look like, but w what are the pieces that are in place at Redeemer? How can you get connected to mercy ministry if you, if you need it uh, or if you want to be involved in uh, in serving one another. And so that's where we're going the next few weeks. But today, Lord willing, uh, we are closing uh, Malachi, the study of Malachi. So turn with me. Malachi chapter 3, we're going to read verses, uh, chapter 3, verse 13, uh, to the end of the book, chapter 4, verse 6. Before we do that, uh, let's pray together. Please join me. Lord our God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you teach us and you lead us uh, and you show us more of yourself. And we pray that you do that today. Uh, we pray that uh, as we hear this, uh, this word for your people, uh, which ends looking forward to the coming of Christ, uh, looking forward to the one who would come uh, to bring salvation uh, and, to, uh, and to redeem his people from their sins, not just from uh, exile, not just from uh, the nations around them, but from uh, the enemy within. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would give us glad hearts uh, to see him and to rejoice in Christ. We pray that you would teach us more about yourself. We pray that you would uh, raise our estimation of your word, uh, to hear your prophets as they speak to us, uh, to recall some of these things later, to speak with them in our homes when we rise up and when we sit down, uh, when we go in and uh, when we come out. And so we pray, oh Lord, would you, uh, would you help us to know more of you today and lead your people for the sake of your name and your glory among us, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, here now, Malachi, uh, chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. You say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? Now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test, and they escape. And then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him, then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. 
For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. That day is coming that shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and the rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Now thus far God's uh, holy word. Uh, so we're coming today to our close uh, on our study on Malachi, uh, and we're coming not only to, to the close of the prophets, remember we began by uh, reading the first of the writing prophets, reading Amos, a number of uh, weeks ago now, months ago now, uh, starting to look at Amos and now looking at Malachi and closing out the section of the prophets and our study on them, but we're also closing out uh, the Old Testament. This is, this is an important transition point uh, when most of our Bibles... Uh, have only a page between Malachi and the fulfillment of this prophecy that comes uh, toward the end in, in the beginning of Matthew where the Lord is bringing his kingdom. Now we've spoken before about the way that most Hebrew Bibles don't uh, end uh, with Malachi. They end with, uh, with Second Chronicles and that's just because they, uh, they arrange the books thematically. Um, so if you pick up a Hebrew Bible in Old Testament, uh, typically it's called the Tanakh. Uh, that, that is because they, they group together the Torah, the, the five books of Moses, then the Nevi'im, which are the prophets, uh, are in the middle in a big section together, and then uh, the Ketuvim, the writings, so the Psalms and, and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and all that sort of thing, and, uh, and Second Chronicles is tossed in there uh, as some of the, the latter writings. And so uh, most of uh, our Hebrew Bibles don't end that way, but uh, all of our English Bibles, uh, and the Septuagint, the Greek translation, um, I think Boyce uh, says most Bibles in uh, publication end the Old Testament with this phrase. Uh, and, uh, and it ends on a solemn note, this, this gap, this 400-year gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There is a solemn note, uh, this, uh, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. One of my, uh, one of my favorite pastors is Dale Ralph Davis. Um, he's also from Western Pennsylvania, so you, you know he's good. Um, but uh, thanks for rolling your eyes, Jay. Um, sorry, it's not Minnesota. Um, anyway, um, so, so Dale Ralph Davis uh, did this series of sermons uh, that he, he called Last uh, Words of Last Chapters. Um, and so this was one of them. I don't remember what he said. It was a, a while ago that I, I listened to it. But, uh, you know, there are some pretty poignant last words in biblical books. I think probably my favorite is Jonah. Um, Shall I not spare uh, this great city, Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. That's a wonderful way to end Jonah. And also much cattle. Um, so that's a, it's an interesting end uh, to that book. You think of uh, the end of Revelation. Um, Revelation chapter uh, 22, verses 20 and 21. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. And it's this, it's this benediction, this forward-looking sort of thing. And the same thing with Malachi. It looks forward. Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts 
of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. This is looking forward, and there's actually a promise here. The Lord is doing something good. He's sending Elijah to his people, uh, but really the last word of the Old Testament uh, is, is a hard word to read, uh, a hard word to, uh, to receive. The, uh, it says uh, this decree of utter destruction. That's actually one word, uh, what's rendered uh, with that phrase in our English. It's actually one word in the Hebrew. It's harem, not harem, uh, not H-A-R-E-M, but two E's, harem. Uh, is anybody familiar with this, uh, this idea, harem? Uh, maybe not. Um, so harem, uh, you will know it if you start to look at the people going into uh, the promised land. Uh, the harem was also known as the ban of utter destruction. Uh, and so you see it in Jericho. Uh, what are the people to do as they go into the promised land? The, the people that the Lord has, has called to himself, well, they are to go in and they are to take these cities and they are to burn them to the ground. They're not to keep any of their livestock. They're not to keep any of their uh, gold or their jewels. They are to kill every man and woman and child and every living thing, and this is harem. This is complete and utter destruction, and this is the last word of the Old Testament. Lest I come and do this to my people. In fact, this is such, this is such a hard word uh, that in many, um, starting in, in about the, the time of the Masoretes, the 9th, ninth, 10th uh, ninth, century, uh, when they started to transcribe, uh, these are Jewish scholars that were transcribing the Old Testament, they didn't like the way that Malachi ended, and so most of the Masoretic uh, texts will repeat verse 5 again. Uh, they'll just throw it in there again because they don't want uh, this last of the prophets to end with harem, with complete destruction decreed against God's people. And so it's, uh, it's, it's interesting for us to, to look at this and understand. Now, the Lord says, I'm, I'm sending Elijah to prepare uh, for you, um, because if I don't, you're going to end up no better than the Canaanites that I commanded you to destroy a thousand years ago. Uh, and, and that's a hard thing uh, to receive. It, it's interesting to consider how Israel would have wound up that way. They came into the land as God's chosen people. They were set apart from all the other nations. They were called by God to bring judgment upon the idolaters. Uh, and then you have the whole sweep of Old Testament history, right, after that point. After they come in and the Lord starts to pronounce harem upon Jericho and upon the Canaanites and upon all the other uh, people. And you have that whole sweep of Old Testament history where there are judges and then there's rebellion and then there are the kings and then there's the division and then there's idolatry and there's exile and there's return and there's rejoicing and now they're just kind of languishing and the Lord ends his last uh, prophetic book uh, through his last prophet in the Old Testament with the same sort of warning that was put against uh, the Canaanites, even though there is a promise attached, it's a difficult word uh, from the Lord to close the prophetic books. Now, it's, it's also interesting when we look at this last section in Malachi, uh, because this is also the last record of the words of the people of Israel, not just God's final word in the Old Testament, but the last record uh, of the words of the people of Israel in the Old Testament, and God says that is a hard word. That's how it begins. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. Well, what is so hard? Well, they, they said it's vain to serve God. What's the point? What do we receive? What's the profit of keeping his charge? What's the use? What, what do we have to gain from all of our toil under the sun with which we toil for the Lord? Vanity of vanity. All is vanity, says the preacher. It's this sort of Ecclesiastes sort of look at, uh, here we are. Uh, and here's God, and he's given us these commands, and we've tried them, I think, but 
you know, things didn't pan out the way we thought they should have, and so what's the point? And God says, this is hard. Um, and these, hards were a kind of, these hard words were a kind of resignation. It was an accusation that the Lord does not take notice, that the Lord does not make a distinction. You know, we call the arrogant blessed because they're the wicked, and, and this is what it says in verse 15, we call the arrogant and the evildoers blessed because not only do they put God to the test, but they escape. It's almost like they're provoking the Lord, and it seems like, like the Lord is not making a distinction. Shouldn't he be doing that? Aren't we the chosen people in the land? Shouldn't he be caring for us and not caring for those and, and caring for his righteous people and, and, and putting down the wicked people? And the charge against the Lord that he says is so harsh is that the Lord treats us like the nations. He doesn't, he doesn't make a distinction. And then the final word uh, of this chapter is, I'm going to send my prophet lest I have to treat you like the nations. And, and so between these, uh, these two hard words, the hard words that the, the people are speaking against the Lord, the hard words uh, that the Lord is speaking to his people, we see the theme of this final disputation. We've seen six uh, different interactions between God and his people uh, in Malachi, and they've touched on different, uh, different themes, but the theme of this one is a distinction. Does the Lord make a distinction between his people uh, and the people who are around them? Does he actually take any notice? Does he... Uh, does he make any difference between the righteous and the wicked? Now, we could, we could break this down uh, into a few sections, and we're going to do that today. We're going to look first uh, and open the, the discussion up in verses three through, 13 through 18, rather. Uh, the point here is that the day is coming when everybody's going to see the distinction. Uh, no matter what they may be thinking now, the Lord is saying, there's a day coming, and you will again see. Now, not for the first time. Again, it, it's a sort of... Uh, a sort of uh, old school promise. The Lord's saying, we're, we're taking it back to, to the way it used to be, the way that you wanted it to be. When the Lord makes a distinction, kind of like we saw last time, the people might be surprised uh, where those lines of division lay. Um, or lie? Lay? Lie? Tim? Lie. Thank you. Where those lines of division lie? Sorry. I got PhD in my pocket there. Um, thank you, Tim. Um, where these, these lines of division lie... Uh, between the righteous and the wicked. And then, uh, and then the first section of chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, uh, the Lord will show that this day of distinction is a day of destruction, but it's also a day of healing. And then finally, in verses 4 through 6, the Lord is going to prepare the way for his people to return to him. So you, you've seen the overview. You've seen this problem. The, the people are speaking a hard word. The Lord ends with a hard word. And in between, there's this question of distinction. So let's open it up a little bit. What strikes you? Uh, in this first section, chapter 3, verses 13 to 18, what strikes you about the charge that the people level against the Lord in this opening section? What is, what is so terrible about what they're saying? What is so hard about it? What is, what is maybe surprising to you or something that you haven't seen before? What do you think? Chris? Thank you. 
Yeah, so Chris is mentioning this inversion, um, this idea you, you talked about making the Lord an errand boy. And what's, the, what's the standard they're using to judge their relationship with the Lord? Tim? Yeah. It, okay. What are those? Enumerate, please. Let me count the ways, please. There's a sort of pragmatism. That's the way they are uh, judging their relationship with the Lord. Well, what, what do we stand to gain? And if we can't enumerate what we stand to gain, if we can't um, follow the Lord and watch our, our bank accounts increase, well, then well, what are we doing? You know, it, it, there ought to be some, uh, some return on our investment, and they see the Lord as, as there to, as Chris said, to be their errand boy, to, to be... Uh, a service to them, you know, to, to work in the way that, that they think he ought to work, uh, to give them what they think they deserve for all the, all the hard, I mean, look at what they're saying. What's, what's the profit of keeping, our keeping his charge, of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? That's what it is, they say. It's like we're just mourning all the time. Um, you know, wouldn't it be better just to be arrogant, to be an evil, they at least get to enjoy themselves. It seems like God isn't bringing any judgment against them. It's, it's neither good for us nor bad for them, so let's all just be evildoers. Uh, that's, you know, we can at least uh, eat and drink and be merry uh, if tomorrow we're going to die. Who, who cares? Yeah, it's, there's this pragmatism, this idea, well, God is here to service us. Um, and also, um, you know, not only is he failing to give us what we think we deserve, uh, but he's not giving those evildoers over there what we think they deserve. Uh, so there, there's a, a negative and a, and a positive aspect to it. I saw Ronnie and then, and then Bill. What do you see there, Ronnie? Um, so what do you think about yeah. Yeah. Um, mm. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I love that you're, you brought up Deuteronomy, um, and that was, was part of my opening prayer, this idea there was this charge in, in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, uh, this shall be the word that's on your lips when you rise up and when you sit down, when you come in, when you go out, this, this is what you'll bind as, as frontlets between your eyes, sort of blinders for a, for a horse to, to keep them moving in the right, the right way, you will, you will bind this 
uh, on your consciences. You will teach this to your children. You will speak of these things. Um, and, you know, actually we, we see uh, there's speech in both directions. So, so let's take a look. Um, this is a great connection, Ronnie, that you're making between the opening section, um, between 13 to 15 and then, and then 16 uh, to 18, which are, which are really sort of uh, counters to one another, right? Um, first, there are these people that are speaking. Well, who are they speaking to? Who are their words to? The Lord says, your words have been hard against me. Who are these people speaking to? What's that, Teresa? The wicked? They're, they're speaking about the wicked. They're speaking about the Lord. They're speaking about the wicked. But uh, who are they speaking to? Are they speaking to the Lord? Right. Yeah, the Lord says, these are against me. Uh, but notice when the Lord quotes them, uh, they speak of God in the third person. The Lord says, I have taken notice of your words against me. And they said, when have we spoken against you? And he's pointing out, well, you're speaking to one another about me. They're, they're speaking to their friends. Friends are speaking to their friends and saying, uh, in the third person, um, it's vain to serve God. They're not saying, Lord, it's vain to serve you. They're going to one another. They're doing the exact opposite of what we see in verse 16. When those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, they're going to one another and saying, it's vain to serve the Lord. What, what, are, we, what are we getting here? And so you get this sort of, this, uh, this click of people who are, uh, are gathered together. And let, let's just, uh, let's kvetch and complain. And, and let's just, uh, you know, be all together in, in what we think the Lord has left out and what we're missing. There's an irony here, right? Um, the people are saying... They provoke the Lord, and the Lord doesn't even care. But what is, what is the Lord doing here? He's taking notice of what they're saying. Uh, and he's taking notice of what those who fear the Lord are saying. Their charge is that God doesn't make a distinction. And he's pointing out, look, I've heard your words that are against me, even though you're talking amongst yourselves. You, you, there, there's a sort of idolatrous uh, sort of gossiping going on behind God's back, they think. God doesn't hear us. Let's talk about how much he's left us out. And God says, I've heard everything you've said. Uh, you know, Jesus says in the New Testament, what they've done behind closed doors will be proclaimed. You know, then everyone will have to stand before the Lord to give an account of every errant word that's spoken. The Lord says, I've taken notice. You think people try to provoke me and they, and they get by notice. No, I, I take notice. And in fact, I take notice on the other side too because these people are speaking to one another. It doesn't seem like they're coming and, and even, he's not talking about their prayer life. He's not talking about, oh, we've poured out our heart to the Lord because we don't want to be like these other people. These are, these are the faithful in the land who are doing what Deuteronomy told them, who, who speak to one another about, about God's goodness. Now, is the situation different for those in verse 14 than it is for those in verse 16? Are, they, are these the people that are experiencing a different return on their investment? These ones who fear the Lord. What makes the difference between those who are complaining and those who are fearing the Lord and speaking? Now, it's interesting. We don't even know what they say. We know uh, what the detractors are saying. We don't know what the, the faithful ones are saying. But is their situation different? Dave? Yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. So we, we talked about this last week, uh, and this is exactly where we need to go. Um, let's turn there, actually, uh, Psalm 73. Dave, would you mind reading some of that for me? Yeah, and then the next, the next two verses. Truly you set them in slippery places, you make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Um, so there, there is this, this reality uh, that the psalmist is interacting with, right? I think this is, is this Asaph? Uh, yeah, it's a psalm of Asaph. Asaph is interacting with this reality. Here's what the wicked are like. And my foot almost slipped when I just looked at what was in front of my eyes. And we also spoke last week, I can't remember who, who raised the issue, but it was, what's the difference here? Well, it's the difference of having a long-range view. Psalm 73 says, then I considered their end. Well, what's the difference in Malachi between those who say, they provoke the Lord and he doesn't even care, and those who gather together and they fear the Lord? Are they experiencing different immediate realities in, in what they're seeing, what the Lord is giving them? Well, no. But they're walking by faith and not by sight. They're going by what God's word has said, and God's word has said, I will judge the wicked. I will not let the guilty go unpunished. He declared himself, the Lord, the Lord, gracious and compassionate, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, who forgives iniquity and transgression and sin, and yet who does not let the guilty go unpunished. That's who he is. That's his character. And so these who fear the Lord's name, isn't it, isn't it interesting that they are said to fear the Lord name, Lord's name, just not not just fear him, they, they know his character, they know who he is, and they're trusting in who he is, and they're looking at who he is with eyes of faith and saying, well, surely the Lord will make a distinction even though we can't see it now. They are living by faith and not by sight. This is the difference between those who fear the Lord and those who say, what's the use? Okay, good. Anything else? Jay? Yeah. Yeah, and that promise that the Lord will make a distinction on the last day. The goats on one side and the sheep on another. And, and just as, you know, the, the shepherd allows the flock to pass under his rod and he watches them and he knows them and he divides them into their different divisions. 
This is what the Lord says he's going to do. And, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's negative and it's positive. Look, look at that, uh, that language. What's the promise? Now I have to find Malachi again. Um, what's the promise? Well, and this is, uh, this is getting more into verses 16 and 18. Uh, then once more you will see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and those who do not serve him. How will they see that distinction? Well, it, it tells us previously, they shall be mine in the day when I make up my treasured possession. I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. There's a, there's a positive aspect here. Not just that the Lord will bring judgment, and he will. That's the next section. But the Lord will know his people, know those who serve him and, and draw them to himself. We got Bill, and then I thought I saw a hand over here. Yeah. Yeah, this, this idea, it's another psalm, Psalm of Moses. Um, oh, Lord, give us, uh, give us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And I think it's interesting that uh, there's a book written of those who are fearing the Lord. Mm. And what does that mean? Oh, they're sitting there and not even picking a book or looking. Mm. He knows them, but he doesn't want to have them in his mm. book. Mm. Notice that it's called a book of remembrance. Uh, that is, uh, that's beautiful language in the scripture. As this might be a detour. Brian, did you have a comment before we go in, in this? Oh, sorry, I thought I saw your hand. There was John over there. Okay, go, go ahead, John. We'll, we'll come back to that. Yeah, so, so that's another good segue back to where, uh, where we were headed. Um, this idea of, well, what will it look like um, when he makes this division? Notice the language again. Uh, and this, uh, verses 16 to 18 are full. Uh, uh, these verses are full of tender language. This book of remembrance, those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name, they will be mine in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves them. Where have you heard treasured possession before? several times already in our study. In Exodus chapter 19, the Lord calls the people to himself at Mount Horeb, at Mount Sinai, just out of, uh, of Egypt where the Lord went in and he spoke to Pharaoh through Moses and he said, Israel is my firstborn son. Let him go that he may serve me. That was, that was the point, right? This is, this is Exodus all over again and this is the reminder, if you want to understand the prophets, if you want to profit from the prophets, you need to know those first five books. Uh, this is their playbook. They go back to, to Exodus and Deuteronomy and Leviticus over and over and over again, and they just, it, it's like they, they've got this concordance of what the Lord has already said, and they're just drawing out all of this language. And so 
Malachi here is drawing together, the Lord through Malachi is drawing together all these words that they already knew. You're my son, you're my treasured possession, you will be mine, I'll make a division, you'll serve me. And he's bringing all these things out. Uh, now, now, let's think about this, this book of remembrance here. Um, who writes this book? It's given in the passive, so it's a little ambiguous. A, a book of remembrance was written before him. Who writes the book? John? Okay. Yeah, so that's, that's one prevailing interpretation, that it's God's book, his book of life, his book of remembrance, his book of however he keeps tabs on those who are his. The same idea that we see in Revelation, that the Lord has a register of the names of his elect from before the foundations of the world, that uh, when, when the scroll is called up yonder, he, he opens it, uh, and, and he shows forth, these are mine. Uh, he names them as his own. He, he vindicates them, in a sense. He declares that they always have been his, even though the world has hated them and persecuted them and, and, and poured contempt upon his church. The Lord has a remembrance of his people. That's one prevailing view. Uh, let's take a look at, uh, I like that prevailing view, by the way. Um, <laughs> this is not a but. Uh, but um, let's take a look at Nehemiah uh, chapter 9. Uh, this is a, a pretty long passage. We're going to skip over a large section of it. Um, but turn to... Nehemiah chapter 9, toward the end of the chapter. And it starts in verse 32. Take a look at, at what happens here. It says, Now therefore our God, the great, the mighty, the awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love, let not all the hardship seem little to us, Little to you that has come upon us, upon our kings and our princes, our priests and our prophets, our fathers, and all your people since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Anybody remember the context of Nehemiah 9? What's happening here? This is a prayer of repentance. If you want to know what repentance looks like, turn to Nehemiah chapter 9. It's a beautiful picture. How do you pour out your heart? How do you, how do you proclaim that God is in the right and you are in the wrong? Well, Nehemiah 9 shows us. So, uh, let not, uh, they're, they're appealing to the Lord and to his care, God of covenant and steadfast love. And then verse 33, yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully and we have acted wickedly. Our kings, our princes, our priests, our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you've given them. Even in their own kingdom, enjoying your great goodness that you gave them in the large and rich land that you set before them, that they did, not, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. Notice the difference here between what we saw in Malachi. Uh, that The people in the earlier section are saying, what a weariness it is, it's vain that we have walked in mourning, we've kept the charge. And repentance begins with saying, actually, we haven't, we haven't done what we were commanded to do. Repentance begins in saying, oh, Lord, you're righteous. And we see if, if you're bringing uh, judgment upon your people, there's a reason the Lord doesn't, 
chastise his people for no reason. And the people in Nehemiah's day are saying, yeah, the Lord is righteous. It keeps going. Verse 36, behold, we are slaves this day in the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts. Behold, we are slaves and its rich yield goes to the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please, and we are in great distress. Because of this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. And then uh, verses 1 through 26 of Nehemiah 10 are those names. Uh, Verse 27, then verse 28 of chapter 10. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the Lord of God, to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our, of the Lord our Lord and His rules and statutes. And it goes on from there. So we know in the scriptures that the Lord has a book of remembrance. We know that even in the time about 100 years before Malachi's day, there were exiles, returned exiles back in Israel, making their own book of remembrance. And they said, Lord, you're right. All these things have kind of come upon us for a reason, and so we, we commit ourselves. We remember. They, they hearken back to what the Lord has given. Notice the way the passage in Malachi that we're reading today ends. Uh, verse 4, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and the rules, all these things that I gave you. And the Lord sets his dealing with his people squarely in between what he's already said and what he has promised. What, what, what has he told you to do, O oh man, and what will he do in the end of days? And he says, remember. This is the language, right? This is this, is this beautiful phrase uh, in, in Scripture, all kinds of remembrance. And remembrance isn't just a memory thing in the Scriptures. Uh, The the thief says to Jesus on the cross, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What does he mean? Oh, yeah, that guy on the cross. No, no, no. Bring me with you. Do kindness to me. That's the idea of remembrance. Uh, Joseph says the same thing to the the, the cupbearer. Remember me when you are restored and and show me the kindness to bring me out of here because I'm stuck in here. The Lord says, remember the Sabbath day. Not just sit around once a week and go, oh, yeah, the Sabbath, that's great. No, no, it, it's a doing. Keep it holy. This is, this is what you do. You, re, you remember it. But, but the great rememberer in Scripture is God. Uh, the Lord is the one who remembers. The, the Lord is the one who, who keeps his love to his people. And we saw this in Leviticus chapter 26. Again, we're, we're, we're digging deep here. But Leviticus 26, the context is that blessing and curse that the Lord gives for his covenant. If you obey, I will bless. If you disobey, I will curse. And this is what the Lord says at the end of Leviticus 26. This is verses 40 to 45. But if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers in their treachery that they committed against me and also in walking contrary to me, so that I walked contrary to them and brought them into the land of their enemies. Talking about exile, right? That's the curse. If then they are, their uncircumcised heart is humbled, and they make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob. I will remember my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham, and I will remember the land. I will, for their sake, remember the covenant with their forefathers, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations, that I might be their God. I am the Lord. He adds his name at the end of all of these things where he says, I will remember my people. And here are these people who fear the Lord and fear his name, and God says, 
There's a book of remembrance. Maybe it's the Lord remembering his people and his covenant promises. Maybe it's the people remembering the Lord and his covenant obligations. But the Lord says there is a distinction. You may think that I'm not paying attention. You may not see the ways that I make a distinction yet, but it's there. And what do you need to know? To know that I make a distinction, you need to know who I am. I am the Lord. Fear my name. Walk in faith. Teresa. Maybe. I'm sort of split between the two opinions. Yes, he will remember them. These will be his treasured people. Either it's a book that they've written and God has noticed, um, or it's a book that God has written and he notices. Either way, God takes notice. And that's their charge, right, in, in verses uh, 13 to 15. God doesn't, he doesn't care. He doesn't, he doesn't notice. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, uh, Jungle Book, an elephant never forgets. Uh, the Lord never forgets. And this is, this is our great promise, uh, that the Lord does not forget. He remembers. And when he remembers, he brings his promises to fruition. That's exactly what he's saying. Yes. Jay. Was it Horton Hears a Who? I think it's all over the place. Yeah, Horton was, I, I said what I meant, and I meant what I said. I meant what I said, and I said what I meant, and elephant's faithful 100%. So I'm a little, I'm a little closer to these things in my current station of life. Um, yeah. Can you quote Leviticus, or can you quote Seuss? That's the real question today. Um, good. All right, so, so let's move on uh, before we're out of time, as usual. Uh, what comfort do you find in these verses? Uh, as, we, as we look at the end of chapter 3, what comfort is here for us? Yeah. The son who serves his father is twice beloved. That's what he says. He enjoys the love of the father automatically because he is his child. And beyond that, he has pleased the father by faithful service. The father's favor is both natural and earned, both instinctive and merited. I think, I think that's a good summary. It's a double blessing. Yeah. Um, yeah, this idea, I, I will save them. They're my treasured. They're my son. But also, they're really, they're really pleasing to me. Um, this, this idea that, um, you know, and, and where does that pleasing come from? Where does that service come from? Well, it's the benediction that I use very often, Hebrews 13. Uh, May the Lord work in you that which is pleasing in his sight. Where does it come from? Where does our service of him that pleases the Lord come from? It comes from him. <laughs> he's pleased with what he's doing in his children. It's not just that, oh, look at all I've gathered together and aren't you proud of what I can do. The Lord works in his people and he says, I'm really pleased. Uh, in the ways that I'm working in my children. Uh, 
He works through repentance, absolutely. Yep. And humility. Yep. Saw hands. John? Yeah, who speaks evil against their parent gets stoned. Oh, yeah. Not in that way. Not in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, notice the, this connection, though. Um, back in chapter 2, verse 10. Have we not all one Father? Say the Jews to one another. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Yeah, they, they have sort of thumbed their nose at the Father. And the Lord says, no, no I'm going to keep them as, as a son who serves me, uh, as a, serve who is, uh, a son who is faithful uh, to my commands. And it's all of grace. It's all of God's mercy. Um, and and he, he exposes their sin, and yet he, he has those they may not be seen. They're like, uh, they're like the people in the time of, of Elijah, the thousands who will not bow the knee to Baal, though nobody else saw them, but the Lord saw them. He counted them. He knew them. Uh, they're like the multitudes crying out in Egypt, does the Lord see? Well, yeah, the Lord sees. The Lord sees, and he hears, and he knows, it says in Exodus chapter 3, and behold, he has come down. Why? Because he remembered his covenant, yeah, and, and he comes to save his firstborn son who, who serves him.
Yeah, the scriptures tell us that there is nothing new under the sun. Now, what do they say uh, to the Lord? Now we call the arrogant blessed. Um, and not to, to step on the easy soapbox, but my wife reminded me that uh, June is Pride Month. What do we call it? We call it pride. Arrogance. And we call the arrogant blessed. This is what's good. Um, and, and we provoke the Lord to his face and, and escape. Well, God seems not to care, right? Well, I guess this is good now. And so we, we, need to, we need to have that long-range view, not just the view of our culture to say, well, let's, let's walk in the way of the world. Let's, let's go with the nations around us. Let's be like them. No, no. The Lord calls them to come out and to make a distinction. All right. Um, so uh, we, we dealt with the last verses uh, of chapter 4. Now, let's take a, a quick look at this section in chapter 4 in the beginning, verses 1 through 3. Uh, again, we see this imagery of fire. We've seen this before. Chapter 3 uh, the Lord said uh, that he is coming um, and he will be like a, refiner fi a refiner's fire. So what, what is the difference in the imagery in chapter 4 uh, from what we saw earlier? Tim's going to kick it off. Or you, you maybe had a different thought. Yeah. sun is fire, yeah, with warmth, uh, right? And, and not, not the kind of warmth that withers, the kind of warmth that heals. Yeah, it's, it's this beautiful uh, picture for us, but yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. Who or what is this son of righteousness? And more importantly, how do you know? I think everybody has a knee-jerk reaction to this one. Oh, we know who the son of righteousness is, or what the son of righteousness is. How do you know? First question, who or what? Christ, okay. 
prevailing view, I would say that's the correct one. Uh, there's another view that says that, that the righteousness itself, that God will send out his righteousness and like the rays of the sun it will go forth and will, God's righteousness itself will, will shine. Well, I, I can go along with that and kind of saying, well, Christ is God's righteousness. But, but there's, there are differences of opinion. All right, so how do we know that? That's, that's the view. The sun of righteousness, here it's S-U-N, it's the glowing ball of fire in the sky. Uh, but it could be S-O-N, perhaps. It, it could be the Son of God, Hebrews. But what's it tell us there? The radiance. Yeah, the radiance, yeah. idea of the, the radiance of God's glory, the, the sun rising with healing in its wings. So the, the, uh, the ancients thought of um, the, the sun as sort of, you'd see it in lots of paintings and depictions and carvings as a, a disc with wings. But the wings really were, were just representative of rays. The sun rises and you see through the clouds the rays come down. Those are the wings of the sun, right? The, the radiance, the shining. Um, and you see this all throughout the scripture. Uh, that the, the Lord dawns upon his people, uh, that he sends forth his, uh, his goodness and his mercy. Um, Psalm 104, uh, the Lord lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. Sorry, the first part of that. Um, oh God, you're great. You're clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. You see it in Isaiah chapter 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. This idea, the sun of, of righteousness will dawn, it will, it will come. There's a new day coming. The Lord said in Malachi, I've got a day that's burning. And that parallel with the day that's burning and the sun of righteousness rising. This idea of a, a new dawn, the, the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Um, nations will come to your light, kings to the brightness of your rising. But the act, uh, this passage from Hebrews is instructive. Christ is the radiance. How does the Lord shine upon his people? Well, he, he shines through Christ. Uh, by Moses, we have received the law. No one has seen the glory of God, but, but grace and truth has come through Christ. We've seen the the radiance, the imprint of who he is through his son. We've, uh, the, the spirit of God has given us to see uh, the glory of God in the face of Christ. Second uh, Corinthians. Uh, this idea that where do we see who God is in the radiance of his glory. The Lord said to Moses, you can't see my glory. I, I, I'll, I'll pass by. I'll put my hand over you in the cleft of the rock. You'll see my back because you can't see my glory. And yet Jesus shows up and nobody's ever seen God but the only son who is at the father's right hand, he's made him known. Uh, there, there's a, a manifestation here. And then Luke uh, chapter 1, verses 76 to 79. Notice this, uh, this connection in Malachi between the son uh, of, of healing and Elijah who's coming. This is what Zechariah says uh, in the passage where he sings about the birth of his son. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high 
to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Zechariah is sort of sitting at, at morning twilight as the, as the dawn is rising and he sees his son and he says, you're the prophet, you're the one that was spoken in Malachi and that means that the Savior is coming right after. The, the light of God will rise with healing in its wings. The, you'll go before the Lord to prepare because of forgiveness. And this is a wonderful segue for our sermon today. There's a lot of cross-pollination happening um, as, as we have been going through Luke and Malachi through the prophets. Uh, today we're going to have um, John send a word to Jesus. And are you the one who was supposed to come or should we wait for another? And Jesus turns around to talk about John's ministry of preparing the word. There's a, there's a lot happening, so we'll, we'll just leave it. Um, but uh, let's close in prayer today and we'll have a time of fellowship before our service. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you for the study of the prophets. We thank you for these men that you carried along and spoke uh, through them by your spirit as you worked in them. We thank you that your word through them is still living and active. We thank you uh, that their sins are like our sins. And so we can see that they are not unique, O oh Lord, but they are a paradigm of our hearts. And so show us our need for Christ. Show us our need for the healing that we can find only in your Son, uh, the one who is righteous, the one who is the exact radiance of the imprint of your nature, the exact glory of God. Oh Lord, we thank you for Christ, our Savior. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who draws us to you uh, with cords of love while we would be tempted to draw iniquity uh, as with, uh, with uh, cart strings. Oh Lord, we, we come uh, carrying our sins behind us, and yet you come uh, drawing us to yourself. And so, oh Lord, help us to see our Savior. Uh, we pray that you would dawn upon us in our worship service. You have dawned upon our hearts. We pray uh, that the light of the glory of Christ would be seen as we meet together, as we as we sing your praises, as we pray to your name, as we hear and confess together what we believe, as you speak to us through your word, as you feed us at your table. Lord, help us as we come to worship. Help us to worship you in spirit and in truth, and we pray that you would be glorified, that your glory would be magnified among your people as we come. For the sake of your name we ask, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, folks.